So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to pick up what Peter has to say, beginning with verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. First Peter is written, if you did not realize it, to a suffering church. They were under persecution. And Peter wanted them to know some things. He wants to know us. He wants us to know the same things. Notice what he has to say. Beloved, do not think it a strange occurrence concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are so grateful that you've allowed us to be here. Father, you've made this divine appointment with us. Nothing is by chance or happenstance, we are here because of your will to speak to us today. Lord, you spoke in our Sunday school time, you spoke to the music time, and now speak through your word. And Father, give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to obey you this morning. For those sitting within the sound of my voice who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior publicly, Convict them of their need to do that. For those who need to come and join this church by baptism or statement or letter, convict them to do that. For those who need to come in rededication and renew their hearts to you, convict them of that. For those who need to surrender their burdens, Lord, give them the grace to do that. And Lord, when we leave this place, we'll sing your praise because you have been with us. And that makes all the difference in our lives. These things I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. It was a large southern congregation in a southern Baptist church. And a lady had been talking to her pastor and wanted to give her testimony. Uh, She was a college English teacher. Okay. Very uh, well-spoken. Very dignified. And she got up and she began to explain some things to her in this very conservative congregation. And so she was very poised. She spoke with a clear voice. She used her grammar correctly. 
And her voice never wavered or broke, even though tears were streaming down her face. She said these words. That it came a point in her life when she became convinced that God no longer loved her or her family. She had seen unnumbered years of unparalleled blessings from the Lord, except for the last year. The one had been one tragedy after another. Her husband of 31 years suddenly passed away from a brain aneurysm. While she was sort of trying to get used to living alone, her only son was killed in a car accident returning from college. If that weren't enough, after his funeral, she found a lump in her breast. And sure enough, she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. One thing right after another. She said, She said she felt alone and abandoned. To put an end to it all, she decided that she was going to take her life. But because she had insurance policies that would bless those remaining in her family, she was going to make it look like an accident. She carefully planned it out. And that particular morning, she was going to go out and do the deed. Before she left, she saw her Bible that because she didn't think God loved her anymore, she hadn't read in some time sitting by the nightstand. And she said this prayer. God, if you care, if you know where I'm at, if you really love me, this is your last chance to prove it. And then I'm going to end it. She picked up her Bible and she just let it fall open. And she read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. And he said, Christian folks, I heard God's voice. And I knew, even in the midst of all this suffering, that I am certain that he loves me. And if you need this testimony, realize for certain he loves you. Now from this passage of scripture... I want you to understand something that you're not going to hear in the name it and claim it bunch in those who want to do the positive power of thinking. And that is this. The Christian life involves suffering. Now, did you hear me? I'm not being a doomsdayer. I don't want to put you off. But you need to understand the Christian life will have some suffering. And we need to understand that. It's, it's not popular in our Uh, pleasure-seeking society to say that. But Jesus himself said it this way in John 16, 33. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As we look at suffering today, there's a lot that he has to say that is biblical, is theological, and all those things. But I want you to understand something. I want you to hear me right now so that you don't misunderstand. If someone you know is going through profound suffering, the loss of a spouse, a diagnosis of cancer, the loss of uh, a job, a child that's, that's wayward and they can't seem to get a hold of, they don't need doctrinal truth at that moment. They need love and concern. It would be the highest of insensitivities to tell them exactly what they need when you haven't walked in their shoes. Later's the time for doctrinal truth. You get busy loving on those kind of folks. Does everybody understand that? 
So now on to the doctrinal truth. Realizing again that in this life, Christians will suffer. Now if you need some more scriptures uh, for that, uh, jot down John chapter 15, verse 8. John said it this way. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you want uh, some more, Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Get the right. Says it this way. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The last one, 1 John 3.13, if you take a notes, says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We have passed from death to life. So, I hope maybe you realize that no matter what others may tell you, there are going to be periods of suffering in your Christian life. So let's look at that. You see, first of all, notice suffering's ultimate purpose. Suffering's ultimate purpose. Again, from our text, beginning with verse 12, it says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of God and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. I just listed two purposes. Just two, there are others, but two basic purposes for suffering in our Christian's life. The first one is this, okay, for our growth. Okay, you suffer for your growth. So I want you to say, for my growth. growth. Say it like you mean it. Okay, now what does that really mean? You see, he gives a command. He says, don't be surprised when this fiery trial comes upon you. To be surprised means that you're taken unawares. To be surprised means you're overwhelmed. To be surprised means you're despairing. You're giving up hope. He says, don't do that. Understand what's happening. Don't be overwhelmed. So underneath our growth, four things on these trials. We have them first, to know God and trust Him more. Because he says, don't be surprised when this happens. Don't be surprised. It's not a strange thing. Rejoice. Can you imagine that? Rejoice in suffering. Rejoice because to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. See, as we get to know God, we understand that this suffering is because we're not of the world. And that should bring us peace. Because if you're not of the world, you're of God. If you're not of the world, in the end, we win. 
So the suffering comes to know God. Secondly, it comes to purify us. He says a fiery trial. The word there means that you'd heat up gold or silver or some precious metal and you would melt it and all the dross, all the impurities would come to the top and you'd skim it off and what was left was pure. And God allows these fiery trials to skim off the things that are impure. And the craftsmen, I don't know this, but the craftsmen who do that and make jewelry out of that gold or that silver say, how do you know when you've got all the dross out? And their answer was very simple. When I can see my reflection, I know it's pure. God, when does he know to turn the fire down? When he can see the reflection of Jesus Christ. So to know God, to purify us, okay, uh, it also tests the genuineness of our faith. You remember in the parable of the soil, some sprung up and they had no root and they died off. They weren't genuine believers. You see, when your faith is tested, when you undergo suffering, I want you to understand that proves that you belong to God. He allows that to prove the genuineness of your faith. That you're not just lip service, but it's life service. The fourth thing, for our witness for our witness, yeah, because again, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. You're joyful, not because of the circumstances, but because of who walks with you in the midst of the circumstances. And the world cannot understand why you have a strange smile on your face. It's sort of like watching Bobby Coble when he starts grinning, you start worrying. Yeah, you better. What are you up to? But see, he says, if you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. And on your part, uh, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, glorified. You see, you need to understand that that's not just for our growth, but the second reason is for God's glory. He said, when you go through these trials... And the world's watching your witness. And God is glorified because they can't understand it. He said, the Spirit of God rests upon us. We know the Spirit of God is with us. We know the Spirit of God lives in us. That's the promise. That's God's seal. But you understand what the word rest there means. When it says the Spirit of God rests, it doesn't just mean that he sits upon us. It means that he's there for refreshing. Okay? It means that he's there to give relief. I didn't say he was going to take you out of the trial, but you can find relief and refreshment with God in the midst of the trial. And suddenly, God is glorified by your actions. God is glorified by what your witness is. God is glorified because you realize how good he is because God is always good no matter what the trial See, God proved he loved us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place and your place. He didn't have to prove any more love than that. And the Spirit rests upon us as a blessing in the midst of that. You see, suffering's ultimate purpose is for our growth and for God's glory. And the other little sub-points are just to help us understand that. But, but for our growth and for God's glory. I've shared before about my Uncle Dick. He was a, a deacon. You see, when I uh, surrendered to preach, my dad had not yet become a Christian. And I was desperately seeking men who lived out their Christianity to be examples. 
Now, my pastor helped me because he definitely lived it out. But my uncle helped me as much as anybody because he was not a pastor. He was a deacon, but he served faithfully all the years of his life supporting his pastor and the work of the church. But you see, it wasn't always easy. Uncle Dick, from the time he was a little boy, always wanted to be an architect. So he got his, his or an engineer. He, always got, he got his engineer from the University of Arkansas. He got that degree. It was a hard degree to get, and he got it, and, and he worked his way up through this firm there in Hot Springs, and he came to be the vice president, one of two, and then the president. And all at once, he quit, moved to South Carolina. I thought, what are you doing? But what had happened, uh, they had some policies that were just a little iffy, you know, just barely legal. He wouldn't go with that. They were drinking at every party they had that was supposed to just be an office party, different things like that. And he said, God could not leave my witness there. I'd witnessed enough, and I moved. Amen. So he moved to South Carolina, climbed up through the ranks again, almost to the president because he was good at what he did, moved back to Arkansas. Same thing happened. Took him two years to find a job. And so they did that in Texas. On and on it went, Okay. The last years of Uncle Dick's life, uh, he couldn't breathe, wound up in the hospital. He had lots of pain. He got to where he had to drag his leg because of the narrowing of your spine, okay? And so here's a, a guy that all he's done is serve Jesus all his life. He can't breathe. He's dragging his leg. And then because of the medicine they gave him to help with the spinal stuff and to help especially with his breathing, it caused his colon to die and they had to do a colonoscopy. And there he is, going to church, dragging his leg, barely able to breathe, colonoscopy bag that he was embarrassed of if he didn't manage to check it correctly. You know, it can make quite a mess, and everybody looks at you while you smell so funny. And yet Uncle Dick died with the testimony, God is good. He has been good to me. Suffering, as I watched him, in the midst of that, he and my aunt grew. In the midst of that, God was glorified because he touched so many lives there at the church, working uh, with the pastor and with others and, and making sure that, that everybody felt welcome. Uh, when they built a new building, he was there. Uh, when some of the uh, senior citizens didn't, didn't like some of the things that were being done, he was there to smooth out things and say, I'm one of them, and if it, if it, if it means reaching people, I'm all for it. Why? Because he loved Jesus and he realized suffering is a part of Christian life. For God's glory and for our growth. The second thing, suffering presents a problem. I just call it suffering's problem. And, and <clears throat> look, at, look at verses uh, 15 and 16. Suffering's problem. It says this, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. A lot of people cannot uh, seem to reconcile the fact that a good, holy, loving God would allow so much evil and suffering, not only in the world, but in the lives of his people. Hmm. The only answer I have for that, and it's not much of an answer, but it's the answer I found, is in Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now, here's what it says. 
You just jot it down. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. I do not claim to know the mind of God. I do not claim to know why good people suffer bad things. That is beyond my comprehension. But what do, I, what do I know? What has been revealed to me? Here's what I know. He proved his love for us by sending Jesus Christ, his only well-loved son, who was perfect, to die for my sins in my place. Amen. So he's a loving God. I know that. I also know that he is good all the time. He is righteous. He is holy in all of his ways. And that's what I not only understand, I know And I know his comfort in the midst of suffering by the Holy Spirit telling me it's going to be okay. So I've had certain things revealed, okay? But now, quickly before I run out of time, there are three kinds of sufferings we're going to face in this world. Are you ready? Point A, suffering for our own sins. Any Christian that's worth his salt realizes that sin brings suffering and we sin. And in our Honest moments, we acknowledge that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 say, Do not be deceived, brethren. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he reaps to the flesh, he will reap corruption. If he reaps to the spirit, he will reap life everlasting. We understand that there's some suffering that comes because of our sin. If you don't believe that God doesn't discipline his children, I'm not going to read it, but read Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 3. It talks about discipline, and God discipline or chastises or spanks or whatever you want to call it, puts us in time out, however you want to do your discipline, his children. And he does that to lead them back, not because he didn't love us. Let me, let me be blunt. Parents who not consistently, lovingly find a discipline that works for their children do not love their kids. If you love your kids, you want them to succeed. You want them to understand who God is. They learn that by your discipline. If you don't do that, you don't love your kids. You love yourself because it's hard for you to do it. And it is hard. God is a loving Heavenly Father disciplines us for our sins. And sometimes that brings suffering. Okay? We don't really have a problem with that, do you? That you suffer for your sins? Go like this. Okay? We deserve it, don't we? Dennis, get to shaking your head yes, buddy. Let's keep going. We also suffer when we do good. Oh, my. We suffer when we do good? Yes. Isn't that that scripture in 2 Timothy 3.12 said, anyone who wants to live a righteous life will suffer? We can keep going, you see. Suffering for righteousness' sake. Uh, He says in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, in other words, you've been doing everything you can. Uh, You know, you're doing all the things that you think God wants you to do. You're in his will. He said, but if you suffer in the midst of that, don't be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. Sometimes we're going to do that. If you want more scripture reference, uh, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. If you jot that down, you can read it later. See, we're going to suffer simply for doing right. Because in this world, the world hates us because we belong to Christ and they do not. Now for the third kind of suffering, the most difficult. Suffering where we can't see any apparent reason. 
There is some, just don't make sense. Just a lot of evil in our world. It's where I have trouble with it. Can't see the reason for it. That's when I go to Deuteronomy 29, 29, ask God for some revelation. Sometimes we call it senseless or tragedy or an accident. You see, these things make us question God. God, do you know I'm here? God, do you care? God, why don't you do something about this? It's okay to ask God questions. He's a big boy. Let me tell you something. He has done something about that. He gave us Jesus. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He gave us his word. If you're a Christian and a member of this church, he gave you a church family to pray for you and walk with you through it. But mostly, he just gave himself so that he would be with us. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, Where does my help come from? I will look into the hills from whence cometh my help. The Lord who created heaven and earth. In the midst of that suffering, we have to do that. And if you've noticed, and I want you to think about it, if you really notice, the people I know that have the most godly shine on their faces and on their hearts are the ones who seem to have suffered the most. Don't just think that, boy, they've got to be a terrible sinner because they really had this, this, and this going. No, sometimes they're living right for Christ, and so the devil's attacking, and they're being polished to a bright hue for God. Miss Joe was a member of our first church there in German, Texas. Right at the start of West Texas, just flat, nothing but jackrabbits and rattlesnakes and a few cows. Miss Joe, as I listened to her testimony, as I visited her as a pastor, said that uh, it was a miracle she was saved. She was raised by not just an alcoholic mama or alcoholic daddy, but two alcoholic parents. Life was tough. But she got saved and the church helped her uh, get away from that lifestyle. And she married a, a good Christian man, so in love. And said, you know, they went to church every time the doors were open. He was a good husband. He was gentle. He was a good father. He made a good living for them. And then a tornado hit Wichita, Texas. It was a big one that destroyed a lot of that town. They were driving back from the grocery store when it hits. And the car was bouncing, about to go up in there. So they bailed out and went down into the ditch. And he covered her and the kids like this. And a two-by-four from somewhere hit him in the back of the head and killed him. And there she is left with three small children at 35 years of age with no noticeable job skills. She got a job the next week after she buried him and worked at a factory the rest of her life. Said life was hard. We didn't have a lot, but what we had was each other. So they made it through. She got her kids through high school. Her oldest son died of cancer. Her daughter was hooked on drugs and was in and out of rehab. Her baby boy made a teacher and did well. Now, when I knew her, she walked with the walker like this. Okay, y'all still with me? And I noticed one day she's out there. I thought she'd fallen. She's out there on her hands and knees underneath the trees, pecan trees. So I whipped in there to see if she's okay. I'm okay. And she's got a little bag and she's gathering the pecans. I thought, my goodness. And she'd struggle to get up on the walker and then she'd go back into there. What I didn't know was she was getting something for her pastor and his wife. Because she would sit there in her chair, her rock, rocking chair. And she had one of them old-timey cranks that, that cranked out and it cracked the pecans. She'd crack them. You remember those pecans, Elizabeth? And she would gently take them apart so they were whole. I never got broken pecans from her. She'd dust them off and put whole ones in Ziploc bag it. And at Christmas, she, she would wrap it up and give it to us. And not just us, but others. She'd do the same thing with her vegetables. 
And I asked her how she had such a smile on her face, always a smile. How was she always so pleasant? Nothing seemed to bother her. Again, her answer was the one I've heard from so many Christians. The Lord has been so good to me. How could I not be good to other people? You see, she come through the fires of life and came out golden for the Lord. She was praising God for that. And we need to ask, is that what we do? Is that what happens to us? So we have the purpose. The purpose. Then we have the problem. And then we have the promise of suffering. Look at those last few verses, verses 17 through 19. We'll close and you'll be out here on time, almost. For the time has come, you notice I said almost, right? If you don't respond, it's not going to be almost. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Wow. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Two things about the promise. In verse 17, the promise means our suffering is temporary. Our suffering is temporary. Peter here quotes Proverbs eleven thirty one out of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And he, he does that to say that judgment here is not the word for the great white throne of judgment. is not condemnation. We know that because Romans 8, 1 says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But judgment means, again, suffering. You see, it, it means purging, strengthening. And he says it starts in the house of God. But to make his point that ours is temporary, he said, if it starts with us whom God loves, who have accepted Christ, who Christ died for, what's going to happen to the ungodly? Don't look at your life right now and say it's terrible and look at those who don't know Jesus and don't understand. They don't have a clue. They don't have any hope. They have nothing going for them. They're going to buzz hell wide open if they don't repent. Don't be jealous of the ungodly. The second thing he says here is that we have love. See, if the righteous one is scarcely saved with great difficulty and suffering, but still saved, the ungodly sinner has no hope. Our hope is that we trust God in Christ Jesus. It says, commit to him your soul. The word commit is a banking term. It means to deposit in order to keep safe. We are safe in Christ Jesus. We'll go through the fires, but he's going to make sure we win in the end. He's going to bring us home. Now, did you hear that? Commit to him. We need to commit to keep it safe. 1 Corinthians 11.32 said it this way. But when we are judged, we are chastened by God, by the Lord, that we may not be condemned... With the world. I'm so glad. Suffering for a season. But you see. We committed to him to keep it safe. Brother Bill Philber was one of my. Mentors. Great man of God. He'd gone to college on a. uh, 
long distance running scholarship. When I knew him, he was in his late 70s, and he still ran some 5Ks and stuff and always won down in Little Rock, his age group. When he couldn't run anymore, he started race walking, and he won a bunch of those races. And then, because of the race walking and all the running, his knees gave out. He had two knee replacements. <clears throat> he had to slow down a little bit as he couldn't win anymore. He worked the puzzle every day to keep his mind sharp in the paper, all those kind of things. While he's serving God still, helping me, his wife got Alzheimer's, and in a few years she passed away. The last time I saw him, we were with Brother Crease at the doctor. I don't know if you remember this, Elizabeth. We were at Brother Crease at the doctor's office. Brother Crease needed a blood transfusion. He was suffering from cancer. Brother Philibur had cancer also. I'm talking with him about all that we had been through and the churches and this and that. And, and I said, how are you doing? He said, Gary, I'm doing good. He said, God's been so much better to me than I deserve. You just can't believe it. And he began to recount his blessings. God has been so good to us also. Do we praise him for it? Do we thank him for it? Let me ask you this. In the midst of your suffering, and I'm not saying we don't suffer. In the midst of your suffering, do you take your eyes off your suffering so you can do good and help others? And praise God. And again, I want you to hear me. If you have one of those tragedies and you're dealing with, you don't need biblical truth right now. That's for later. Listen to the sermon again or read the scripture again. What you need is love. Seek it out and find it from a Christian brother or sister. And let them shower you with God's love so you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you in the midst of your suffering. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, there are some that need to come and accept Christ this morning. There are some that need to come join the church. There are some that need to surrender their burdens. They are suffering, and they need your help. Let us do what you would have us to do. In Christ's name, amen.